You're listening to the American Journal of Perinatology podcast, hosted by Dr. Bill Goodnight and Dr. Chris Robinson. Each month, we take an in-depth look at a paper published in the American Journal of Perinatology. We would like to thank you for joining us again for the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Today we are joined by Sunit Shohan, who is professor within the Division of Maternal Fetal Medicine in the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences with the UT Health Sciences Center at Houston Medical School. Dr. Shohan recently published a review article in the April 2015 American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology entitled, Obstetric Recommendations in American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, Practice Bulletins, versus up-to-date. A comparison. Dr. Shohan has an extensive history of publications involving clinical obstetrics as well as leading the local National Institutes of Health and Child Development, NIH, MFMU branch within the UT Health System. Dr. Shohan today will spend some time with us discussing his ideas and findings behind the comparison of two very commonly used reference articles for obstetric guidelines. We want to thank Dr. Shohan for joining us tonight. And thank you very much for inviting me to discuss other publications. We're excited to have you with us because certainly this is a very extensive publication that looks at a lot of obstetrical recommendations from two national authorities, the first and foremost being the American Congress, compared to that of the up-to-date service, which provides recommendations through a different mechanism which both of these are commonly used today. So I'd like to start with what led to your decision to pursue this investigation of a comparison of national guidelines of the American College versus that of up-to-date. When I did this publication, when we started it, I was in Norfolk and authors, all the junior authors, the first co-authors, first four co-authors were resident and they were some of the smartest ones and they were always quoting me up-to-date and I barely heard of it, and I always wonder why are you quoting me up to date, why not ACOS? So one night we just got into a nice, healthy discussion, which prompted me to say, well, let's just compare them if they're that worthy of quoting. So that's what prompted being on call with the first author, Emily Meyer. Let me ask you this. In your clinical practice, did you notice differences in how clinical practice took place when individuals were using up-to-date versus using the recommendations of the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists? I did. Like one of the major differences we found was they were saying vacuum is always better, and I said, where's the reference? They said up-to-date, and I was always brought up in my training and reading ACOG that forceps and vacuum are equivalent. They are similar outcomes when used appropriately, and that was one example of the difference which initially launched this comparison. So one of the things that you point out is residents and medical students seem to rely and utilize up-to-date fairly commonly as a point-of-care tool in making plans and making decisions about clinical care. Why do you think it is that up-to-date has become so prolific amongst our trainees compared to the recommendations of national organizations like the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists? Excellent question. I think it's a generational gap or generational appeal. Uh, to date, I think it's a little bit more perhaps electronically savvy than ACOG, and that's just an impression. 
but at least in my generation or my time, I've always tried to take all practice bulletin boards for clinical management and in research and rarely looked at up to date. Uh, but I think that's a very good question. My review of literature on up to date also suggests that it is the younger or those without white hair generation using it more and more than I am at least. So when you set out to make these comparisons, it has to be a daunting task to take the recommendations of the American Congress, which are certainly very lengthy. And I can remember over my training period, we certainly have increased the number of publications as well as the depth and breadth of those publications. And comparing that to an online point of care up-to-date presentation, how did you design this and how did you decide to tackle this ever? Before this, we had done some other publication comparing ACOP practice bulletin or just analyzing ACOP practice bulletin. In the past, I had developed an Excel sheet where we had imported or cut and paste the ACOP recommendation. Once we started the topic, the first four authors, all four of them were residents at Norfolk. They divided the ACOP practice bulletin among them and researched up to date and they literally cut and pasted it on an Excel spreadsheet and that became our almost like patient data point. So it started with an Excel sheet divided among four residents of us four authors and taking the up to date and dividing it and cutting and pasting the recommendation from both sources and that's how we started the analysis. And so once you had this database set up, it looks like that you then had independent adjudication by two maternal fetal medicine subspecialists, one who had had 10 years of completion since fellowship and the other 19 years to really answer three questions about the comparison of these recommendations. So what were those questions that you asked them to evaluate? Once we got that, we just didn't want to say that there were X number of recommendations in ACOG and Y number in up-to-date and then just leave it. We wanted to categorize a recommendation based on whether they were diagnostic tests or they were descriptive or prescriptive. Once we came up with that idea, then it occurred to us what I would consider to be diagnostic or descriptive, another clinician may not. So we had to independently, so Dr. Hill, who's a co-author, and myself took the Excel sheet and independently, once we had all the recommendations in an Excel sheet, independently decided to categorize each recommendation one at a time, whether they were descriptive, prescriptive, or diagnostic. And then given any one topic, we wanted to know if the recommendation by two different respectable organizations were comparable or dissimilar or similar. Having done that, we just didn't want to say this is what we think, so we decided to do some simple statistical analysis to see how our rating of these recommendations paired with each other. That was a very interesting analysis. So when you looked at the inter-observer variation in the categorization of the obstetric recommendations by ACOG practice bulletins versus the up-to-date, it looks like the comparison and the concordance with an agreement of yourself and Dr. Hill was very high when looking at diagnosis, treatment, and outcome. However, when making a decision about descriptive versus prescriptive, there was not nearly as much agreement. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that it's clear when we look at diagnosis, treatment, and outcome, but when it comes to comparing descriptive versus prescriptive, why is there less agreement? 
I think, first of all, we have to acknowledge that we may be unique and that neither a nor up-to-date part of the recommendation is that, and we have mentioned that in our publication that we are applying our thought process into the recommendation. But I think it is hard to tell whether you are describing something or prescribing something and being in agreement. It is my hope that in future the recommendation, instead of just listing or stating what the recommendation is, they would also do is it a diagnosis, treatment, description, or a prescription, because I think our ability to be compliant should be more with prescriptive. If someone is prescribing a national organization, we should be more compliant with that when, than when they're describing, which is more of an understanding of the phenomena. But I honestly don't have a good answer as to why we defer in descriptive and prescriptive. It does bring up the issue that, and I'm sure you've been in this situation as well, if we were to place three to four MFMs in a room and ask them to devise a plan for a complex patient, we would probably come up with at least three different plans. And there, in other words, there may be many ways of approaching the problem. And it may be that this is really elucidating a similar sort of phenomenon even when we look at guidelines. You may be right, but one of my hope in analyzing is that there should be more clarity and there should be less confusion when you are making a recommendation by national guidelines. Now, we may disagree for, let's say, phenomena A, do you need the recommendation B or not, but once you agree to, let's say, severe preeclampsia, we need to do operative annual delivery, there should be no confusion to a clinician, a busy clinician or person in training that is vacuum or forces equally good or one is superior to another one. And plus, what amazed me was that number of, if you look at the figure in the diagram, is how many are incomparable. So one organization would make a recommendation and the other one would have nothing equivalent to say on that topic. It surprises me that the majority of them are incomparable in most of the cases, both for ACOG and up-to-date. So that is my biggest surprise, especially considering up-to-date says that this is done in conjunction with or they have an approval or seal. So one who goes to up-to-date, they actually have ACOG symbol at the bottom, almost suggesting that it's been approved by ACOG. And I think that incomparability just surprised me at the end. That's a very astute point. I would agree with that. It's very interesting. Now, when you looked at the data, when you look at the comparability between the inter-agreement of ACOG versus up-to-date, where is it highest? I mean, where is the area where we see the highest similarity between these two recommendations? The highest similarity occurred looking at the graph was when up-to-date gave level A recommendations. They were more likely than anyone to have a comparable ACOG recommendation, though they may not be similar grade. So level A one given by up-to-date, 62%, almost the majority of them had a similar recommendation by ACOG, but otherwise the majority were incomparable. Can you explain that a little bit? What would you consider incomparable? So one example we cited was use of progesterone. So ACOG makes a recommendation level A that progesterone treatment does not reduce preterm birth in women with, twin, with multiple gestation and therefore is not recommended. Most MFM and clinicians agree with that. Yet if you were to rely solely on up-to-date 
for a woman who comes in with twins and prevention of preterm birth, you would not find a comparable conclusion in up-to-date. So if you were to rely on up-to-date and not be familiar with ACOG, you may use progesterone, and I think that would be a disservice. So to me, that was a prime example of incomparable recommendation between two organizations and the need to be more consistent or be more familiar with ACOG and not necessarily up-to-date. I think our audience would also be interested in what are some areas where you found dissimilarity between the practice bulletins and up-to-date? I think you quoted a percentage of 1% to 6% being dissimilar. And I think those are areas that we would certainly be concerned about having two different opinions that are not on the same page. What were some areas where you found that to be troublesome? So in appendix C, one example or another example besides operative vaginal delivery of dissimilarity is with external cephalic version or ECV. So according to ACOP practice bulletin, it states whether to use tocolytics prior to ECV, that it is not necessary or it's not recommended. And that's level B in ACOG. But up to date, says to enhance the success we recommended in this before external cephalic version, and that's given in grade 1A. So in one case, it says chocolatics may be used or shouldn't be used, and the other one there, in our opinion, recommending chocolatics before external cephalic version. To us, those were sufficiently dissimilar to warrant a saying that the two are not in agreement. Certainly, one of the things that we're always taught in training is we have to evaluate the source of information, the strength of the information, and the reliability when we're making clinical decisions involving patient care. So we know that resident students, a lot of trainees depend upon up-to-date versus ACOG practice bulletins and making these decisions. So how would you recommend thinking about the quality of evidence when making a decision about patient care when you're comparing practice bulletins versus up-to-date? And maybe you can give us some insight as to your experience with how these protocols and national recommendations come about. I have a little bit more familiarity with ACOG and none with up-to-date, but what I admire and like about ACOG recommendation, it is a committee of several leading clinicians and researchers on a topic who have summarized the literature and written on it often, and then it goes to committee, and it's the synergistic opinion or the combined intelligence of the committee which comes up with the recommendation. It does have some distractors, but I think overall that is much more like the clinically relevant to me than up-to-date, which from what I've heard, but I've never been an up-to-date, is more of a singular mind. And even though they are an expert on a specific topic they're writing and they are to be commended, it is still an individual person and there is no overseeing by a committee of peers or other clinicians across the country that I'm aware of. And I think this difference may lead to different type of recommendation. One of the things we noticed or we have mentioned in this article is both organizations say how they will grade a recommendation. I, for one, have never seen that given, let's say, 50 facts on a topic, what constitutes a recommendation and what constitutes just a mention on the topic. So what qualifies or gets brought up at the level of recommendation, 
was just a descriptive statement or a statement in the document has never been fully evaluated or fully mentioned said that to make a recommendation for us we will need following one, two, three, four, five factors. So I think that would enhance my understanding and other researchers who are interested in researching and national guidelines as to what constitutes a recommendation would be wonderful. Now, since we've clearly been able to see significant differences between two sets of tools, one being a national guideline from the American College versus a point-of-care tool up to date, how do you think we would move toward harmonization of the recommendations between these two tools such that the user is going to have a concise and yet similar recommendation in all cases for clinical care and implementation of interventions. One thing to do, and I've done it in the past, is I have made the Excel sheet which has the recommendation by APOC and up to date to my residents and my colleagues and we are doing additional research on the topic is to make that Excel sheet publicly available and it could be shared documents and I've seen other residents use our Excel spreadsheet with all the recommendations during rounds and they just control F and search a word and a recommendation. I think that would be the simplest solution is to make a public availability of all the recommendations by these two organizations in one spreadsheet or some other user-friendly document. The second, I think, at a higher level of calling and beyond my pay grade is definitely that the two organizations have to come together and say, what can we do to avoid comparability between the two? But my only concern is if two are identical, then the question becomes why when put out two set of guidelines under two umbrella up to date and ACOG or when if they're going to be similar. So I think that's a tougher one to solve is how to make a uniform guideline by two different organizations. And I honestly decide that two coming together and coming up with one guideline, I do not know how to move the needle forward or how to approach them besides keeping some easily accessible, freely accessible recommendation of both of them side by side in an Excel document. But I welcome any suggestions any of the readers or listeners have. Certainly. Well, we really thank you for taking the time out this evening to discuss your manuscript with us in your publication in the April issue of the American Journal of Perinatology. I want to thank you for taking time out to spend with us this evening. And I want to invite our listeners to enjoy this article entitled Obstetric Recommendations in the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, Practice Bulletins versus Up-to-Date, a Comparison. This is in the April 2015 edition of the American Journal of Perinatology. Thank you very much, Dr. Shohan, again for joining us. No, thank you kindly. You've been very kind and I appreciate it the time and your effort. And I want to thank American Journal of Perinatology for publishing that. It means a lot to us. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Thank you for listening. To find out more and to read this month's highlighted paper, go to www.tima.com forward slash AJP or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com AMJ Perinatology. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes and join us next month when we will discuss another paper from the pages of the American Journal of Perinatology.